Today on Bold Steps Weekend, Mark Job says that when spiritual practices decline in our lives, so do our financial decisions. If we allow our hearts to become hard and we adapt to the culture of our society, oftentimes we can begin to embrace culturally accepted financial practices that are contrary to the culture of the Word of God. Welcome to Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job. Mark is president of Moody Bible Institute and the senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. I'm Wayne Shepherd. We're continuing our current series in the book of Nehemiah, all about rebuilding our lives, our families, our churches, and our cities. Nehemiah has a burden and a vision to rebuild his city, but before the outward could change, God had to change the Israelites from within. And Mark, that's what we're talking about today, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about the battle within. And Nehemiah faced a problem, Wayne, that most of us face at some time or another pursuing our call. Mm-hmm. He faced challenges and conflict over finances. Right. You know, if you're a young couple looking at having a baby right now, I'm sure that there's some tense discussions about finances. Or if you're a pastor looking to plant a church, I'm sure there's tense discussions about finances or someone that's looking to move out of their house and buy their home, any call that God places upon our life or any next chapter will usually be accompanied by a challenge over the area of finances. But we have God's Word to guide us, don't we? Well, let's get started with wisdom from God's Word today. The message is called The Battle Inside the Wall. Mark Job is in Nehemiah chapter 5. Let's join him there on today's Bold Steps Weekend. How many of you know that When people oppose this from the outside, it's one thing, but when there's conflict inside, it's a whole other thing. I mean, there's there's trouble at your work, and your wife's with you, and you're both on the same team together. She's in your corner. The family's together, and people are opposing you. You feel like, I can handle this, but when you get home and the family's divided, it's a whole other story. You can handle almost anything from the outside, but when there's conflict inside, when the people that you love the people that you trust, the people that are close to you, when you're fighting with them, that is more discouraging than almost any kind of other opposition. How about it? And you know what they were fighting about? They were fighting about the thing that's the number one cause of friction in marriages today. No, not sex. No, not mother-in-laws. Money. They were fighting about money. More couples fight about money than any other topic around. In fact, more more couples end up in divorce court because of tension over finances than any other topic in marriage. Did you realize that? You know, we fight a lot about money internally. Marriages fight about a lot about money, who spends what, you make this, I make that, you spent too much, no, you don't spend enough, you're a tightwad, you get in debt, you don't need those shoes, well, you didn't need that motorcycle, and you didn't need that leather jacket, yeah, but you have 150 purses of all different shades and colors, and there is a lot of conflict about finances. 
And if you're a married couple, don't raise your hand right now. Let me know because I know there is. You've had these discussions. But, you know, it's not just in marriage. There are people, if you've ever had a parent that died or parents that died and you received an inheritance, I've talked to so many siblings that don't get along because they're still squabbling over some inheritance that was left to them 10 years ago. They're still fighting about who gets what, and he cheated me, and I should have gotten more. Listen, can I give you advice as a parent? If you're a little elderly and you have some possessions, please leave a will. Write it down clearly so your kids don't have to squabble over things, okay? Uh, Employers fight with employees over raises. Uh, You may have been a part of a picket line sometimes saying, unjust wages, unjust wages, because you're squabbling. Unions fight with companies. Um, Some of you have landlords that you don't like to take your monthly rent check to. You send it through the mail even though they live downstairs. You just don't want to see them because you're squabbling over finances. Money can become a source of a lot of conflict, a lot of conflict. And it's interesting that Jesus, if we go all the way to the New Testament, it's just interesting that 25% of the teaching that Jesus gave is about wealth, materialism, and finances. 25%. That means if I were to teach as much as Jesus did about it, once a month you'd be hearing a a message about money or finances or wealth. Jesus taught a lot about it because finances and the way we manage our finances affects a lot of our life. It affects our marriage, it affects our children, it affects our family, it affects the way we view life because it is a source of a lot of conflict and can be a source of a lot of good as well. So the question I'm answering this morning out of this chapter is this. What happens when money problems stop what God is doing in your life? I'm going to give you three principles this morning that you need to understand if you're going to continue to allow God to work in your life, even if you're experiencing some financial problems. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 5 of Nehemiah. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards, although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to be subject, our sons and daughters, to slavery." Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Let me stop there. If you're taking notes this morning, write down this note, write down this phrase. Financial mismanagement will flourish in a culture where worship has been in decline. Now, what you need to remember about what was happening here is that for 141 years, Jerusalem had been in ruins, and for most of that time, their worship, their following of God, and their practices 
were, were not very good. Uh, their spirituality was at low ebb. Their following the instructions of God was not very strong. And here's the thing. I've talked to you about this before. But we need to understand this. Sometimes many of us dichotomize. We make a difference between the material world and the spiritual world. But in God's economy, there is no dichotomy between the material world and the spiritual world. They all intermix. In fact, our finances is a spiritual matter. It's not relegated to the material world and separated from the spiritual world. They intertwine with each other. They're interwoven with one another. So the way that I manage my finances really is indicative of my spirituality. You may have never thought about that before, but Scripture talks about that a lot. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew, he said, where my heart is, there will my finances be also. Wherever my heart is, that's where my wealth, my wallet, that's where I'm going to be. So our spirituality dictates uh, our, our financial management. What was happening here is that because of these people, although they were followers of God, but because their spirituality had not been maintained, their financial practices had declined to such a place and such an extent that there were grievous abuses happening among them. Although they all claimed to be followers of God, there was injustice, there was taking advantage of the poor, there was high interest rates being extracted and there was even slavery happening among them, all among believers. Now, what had led them to this financial crisis? Well, it tells us in Nehemiah that a couple of things, I, I think I find four things listed in this passage that precipitated their financial crisis. Number one, uh, not the... Uh, the most uh, relevant of these, it was a small part of what was happening, but the intense work on the wall took time from providing for their household needs. They were all working on the wall, remember? They were trying to rebuild a wall in 52 days. And this was a huge task. So it was taken away from their overtime. It was taken away from the time that they would normally spend in their fields harvesting and their other occupations because they were rebuilding a wall. So they were preoccupied with a job they had to do that was taken away from their normal job. The second thing was that there was a famine in the land. Yeah, famine. Now, most of us don't use the word famine anymore because we're not in farm country. Uh, we use the word recession. And, and a famine was akin to a, a severe, severe recession. It, it pretty much meant that it, unemployment was high. Uh, people were struggling to just meet the daily needs of their lives. And people were nervous about the economy. Uh, it was hard to pay their bills. It was just a difficult financial time. Severe re uh, recession. Uh, thirdly, taxes kept increasing while their salaries were not increasing. Boy, they had that problem too, huh? It seems like taxes keep going up, but the salaries don't match with that. Uh, we, we can relate to that, can't we? It seems like, wait a second, the taxes keep going up and up and up and up. And for those of you that own property here in Chicago, it looks like there may be another tax increase going, going our way. But, but here's the thing. They were, 
so indebted to these taxes that some of them were unable to pay, which leads to the fourth problem. The fourth problem was people were paying interest. They had borrowed loans. Some of them had, had taken loans on their homes, on their properties as collateral in order to pay their taxes and in order to buy the necessities for their livelihood. And now they couldn't pay the interest on their loans. And so therefore, uh, they were their properties and homes and businesses were being confiscated. Some people were taking the equivalent of a home equity line of credit, but they couldn't pay back the interest rate on it. And they were putting their fields up for mortgage. And now they found themselves being unable to pay the minimal payment. And so their fields were being confiscated. And there was another practice too. This may seem strange to us, but in those days, they also mortgaged their children. Yeah. They, they would put a collateral on their children. And they would say basically, okay, if I can't pay my int- the interest in this loan back, then my child will go and he'll be indebted to you as a slave until he can pay our loan off and then our child will be returned to us. Some of you are saying, hey, does that program still exist around here? No, no, you can't go there. No. And so some of them had defaulted on their loans and now think about this. They're in the same temple together, but sitting a few rows down is someone that has your daughter as a slave because you were unable to pay your interest rate. And now that daughter of yours, that 12-year-old daughter, is a slave working in their household and in their fields, and yet you're worshiping in the same community. So the financial crisis had reached such a point of devastation that the families rallied together and say to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, do something. This has become critical. Well, we're going to pause there for just a moment. You're listening to Pastor Mark Job, and this is Bold Steps Weekend. The title of today's message is The Battle Inside the Wall. Now, if you missed any part of this series called Rebuild, no problem. You can always listen at your convenience on our website at boldstepsweekend.org. All of our past programs are available anytime, anywhere on demand. That's boldstepsweekend.org. You know, nothing will change the way you live more than recognizing that everything, including money, belongs to God. And as we're learning through this study in Nehemiah chapter 5, when we ask Him what He wants us to do with our finances, we're asking the right question. With more on developing a stewardship mentality, here again is Pastor Mark Job on Bold Steps Weekend. Now, what I want you to keep in mind about this is that oftentimes when there is not a godly standard, when we begin to develop a ownership mentality rather than a stewardship mentality, and we begin to embrace the cultural practices of the day, the economic cultural practices of the day, and we start uh, forgetting about the biblical practices, then our finances will be mismanaged and they will reflect the culture of the world around us rather than the culture of the kingdom of God. You realize that? 
that oftentimes we are influenced by the culture around us rather than the principles of the Word of God. So I'll give you an example. Let me give you an example. Um, a couple hundred years ago in this nation, there'd be people that would go to church on Sunday morning and they would have their devotions around a table and they would open their Bibles and they would pray and they would say grace before their meals and they would, they would go out to their hut in their yard and they would take a whip and they would savagely beat slaves that they viewed as simply economic interests to harvest their fields. And yet they claimed to be Christians. And they would beat them and sell them as property, and yet these same people that were beating them, whipping them, selling them as property, abusing them, would go to church, sing the hymns, read their Bible, pray grace in front of before they ate their meals, and called themselves Christians, yet at the same time they were savagely abusing other people, merely what was driving everything economy. Why do you think the slave trade flourished? Because it was cheap labor. Uh, and, and, and the South, the whole battle between the North and the South really had to do with economy more than anything else because the slave owners understood if we can't practice slavery anymore, then we can't be competent. Our economy will go down. We have no way of harvesting our fields. We have no way of picking the cotton and harvesting our fields. And the, the, the expense of trying to run these these large farms will be incredible, and so what drove their abusive people, even though they claimed to be, many of them claimed to be Christians, was the economy, and it was an unjust economy, yet they claimed to be believers in God Almighty. You see, the point that I'm making is that even as believers, even as Christians, if we allow our worship to deteriorate, if we allow our hearts to become hard and we adapt to the culture of our society, oftentimes we can begin to practice financial, culturally accepted financial practices that are contrary to the culture of the Word of God. And I believe that that happens today as well. Oh, we don't have slavery anymore, but we, we have a lot of other ways that we mismanage our finances, a lot of other systems of abuse that we allow in this country and that we may even practice as believers that don't match up to the values of the Word of God. For example, they were uh, practicing what's called usury. They, in the Old Testament, the Word of God in essence had said, you shall not charge interest rate for a loan that you give to someone that's poor. Don't, don't charge them interest. They, they need the money to survive, and now you're charging interest rate upon that, which puts them in debt. Most of you, what you don't realize is, and, and boy, there's tons of companies that their whole objective is really that, is to get you in debt. Do you understand that? That there's a whole economic machine in our country that's there to simply say, I want you in debt. How many of you get these blank checks in the mail that just say, sign here, $2,000, all yours? Now, if you're at home thinking, oh, how am I going to pay my gas bill? How am I going to pay my light? Big man, I'm going to be late on my mortgage. And you get a mail, you open it up. Oh, you're saying, oh, God, help me. 
You get your mail, you open up it up, and there you see three blank checks. There. Just fill it out, $1,000 each. You say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> what you need to be saying is, I rebuke you, devil, because that is not an answer from God, because if you read the fine print, it's going to say, yeah, we'll give you $1,000 if you sign this check, and then we'll charge you 30% interest on this. What you don't understand is that someone's trying to make you their slave, their debt slave. And often when you're struggling with finances, you're in a survival mode, you'll do whatever to get money, and oftentimes you get you more and more in debt. There are companies that thrive in low-income neighborhoods. Listen, some of you need to wise up a little bit, because some of you are living paycheck to paycheck, and you go to a place that says, we'll cash your check for you or give you money in advance, and you say, wow, aren't they providing such a nice service to the community? No, they're not. They're gouging you. And you wonder where all the, all the hidden fees, you're just surviving. You need to pay your mortgage, your gas bill, provide food on the table for your children. And so you go to these, pays that, these places that will advance cash money on your check. But when all the fees are said and done, they've just eaten away about 40% of the check that you just cashed. That is not a service to the community. That is gouging people that least can afford it. And let me tell you, just because a practice is legal doesn't make it ethical. Slavery was legal in this country, but it was not an ethical practice. So just because the government of the United States of America claims that it's a legal practice, we need to exercise a higher morality and ask ourselves this question, is this an ethical practice according to the Word of God and the values of Scripture not just tolerated by the laws of this land? So Nehemiah was living in a day, and by the way, God had said, don't charge interest to the poor. In Exodus, he tells us that. The other thing that, that, that God was, was against is taking people as slaves. In fact, do you realize that the system that God set up under the Jewish law required that every seven years, all debts would be forgiven? You understand that? Every seven years, you could not have, so God established a system within the Jewish culture that every seven years, all debts would be forgiven. Now, what did that do to people? That made people have a mentality. First of all, it made you more cautious to loan, right? What, what God was establishing in the Jewish culture was an equitable, just society. And what was happening here in Nehemiah is these people had gotten away from principles of the word of God, so therefore, there was not a just society. They had begun to embrace the economic practices of the nations around them as opposed to following the practices of the word of God. And so therefore, their economy mirrored the cultures around them, the unjust systems of cultures around them, and even though they were God worshipers, they had fallen into abusive practices that uh, tore down the poor and, and uh, made the rich wealthier and the poor poorer. Now let me say this, there is no, money is neutral. If you have a lot of it, doesn't make you a bad person or doesn't make you a good person. And if you have little of it, doesn't make you less spiritual or less good or bad. Money is a neutral power. It's our attachment and our perspective of money that makes it either a tool of good or a tool of evil. Do you understand that?
Well, anytime we stray from God's principles, no matter the area, we tend to slide into reflecting our culture more than our faith, don't we? And when it comes to money, the consequences can be an unjust or an even abusive society. This is Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job, and we're at the halfway point in our message titled, The Battle Inside the Wall. Part two resumes next weekend, so I hope you'll join us again when Pastor Mark reminds us that when we're good stewards of what God has given us, our approach to finances changes entirely. We're in the throes of a wedding season now, and with that in mind, our bold action gift is the perfect resource for anyone thinking about getting married. Mark, why don't you tell us more about this book? In life, there are some things you have to learn on your own. And then there are some things you can discover from the experience of others. Thankfully, when it comes to marriage, there are countless lessons we can learn long before we say, I do. And as long as we're willing to listen to those who did. That's why we're excited to offer an insightful book called Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Got Married. Written by best-selling author and marriage counselor, Dr. Gary Chapman, this resource will push you to rethink your marital expectations that begin with you and your significant other talking it over. And this bold action gift is a must-read for those who are wanting to seek spiritual wisdom and biblical insight and not wander into marriage without a moment of preparation. So don't wait. Request your copy today when you give a gift of any amount to support the ministry of Bold Steps. All right, thank you, Mark. You can call us at 866-535-5580. That's 866-535-5580. Or donate online at boldstepsweekend.org. I'm Wayne Shepherd on behalf of the entire team at Bold Steps. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next weekend when we'll learn from Nehemiah's story how to incorporate kingdom financial values into our lives. That's coming up next time here on Bold Steps Weekend. Bold Steps Weekend is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.